So we had some questions on energy, on breathing, on um, the traffic lights, and what particular you know, ways to moderate one's practice to make sure one's on course, uh, how to stay steady with the mind when there's a strong rapture, strong <coughs> happiness, strong gladness, uh, also how to make use of the experience of death, vidida, sense of weariness or uh, whatever that does. Choiceless awareness, yeah, illusion, and uh, how to deal with the impact uh, when we open the sense doors and things start happening and we feel we, we've got to respond to it, how do we respond without making, making sure that that's clear or mindful, we don't say or do or react in an unskillful way or unprofitable way. Okay, and what to do about feeling I wasn't good enough for a very dearly uh, beloved um, fellow being. That's a mixture, isn't it? So, <laughs> take a little while to get through that. Oh, fatigue, of course, fatigue, and energy. So an overall um, guiding principle um, behind this right view, uh, so wisdom. Wisdom is necessary, clarity is necessary, sense of staying conscious and being able to adjust, operate through a range of circumstances from the very rapturous to the depressive to the flat, tired, fatigued, um, that requirement. Wisdom also, the wisdom to know, you know, to be vigilant over one's actions in daily life. Um, and the wisdom to be able to investigate, to look at delusion, to, to try to clear any delusion that might be. Because greed is generally fairly obvious, hatred is fairly obvious, delusion by its nature is deluding. We don't really can't get it because it's deluded. Uh, and um, suitable meditation object, mindfulness, breathing, choices, awareness, and how to, what we do about this experience of not having, uh, feeling we've done well enough for someone we hold dearly. So those are the topics that we do about. Start with the traffic lights. Um, Essentially, the first traffic light was the awareness of um, right view, that is, um, do I take into account, do I bear in mind, do I, am I confident in, do I practice with the sense of whatever good intention I bring forth, anything will be for my welfare, I'm confident in that. Whatever unskillful intention I let go of, put aside, this is, will be for my welfare. So, this sounds a bit vague, but it does mean that we acquire confidence in at least, you know, we're feeling pretty confused, at least I can stop feeling depressed about it. You know, that's why I'm saying, you know, it's like this is not a bad place to start. You know, wherever it is, tired, exhausted, worried, frantic, depressed, sad, joyful, it's like this, you know. Um, so, 
instead of adding more to it. So you might feel difficult feeling and then start to add more difficult thoughts to it. Like, why am I feeling like this? I shouldn't feel like this. This makes it more difficult. Well, then, the right view, we recognize, don't add unskillful, difficult conditions to a difficult condition. It's difficult already. Don't make it worse. Yeah. yeah. So we, even doing that, even just abiding with acceptance into a not particularly wonderful state, a stressed out state, or a will begin to relieve the stress. So this is an important feature to bear in mind because it's certainly the case for all of us that we can't feel healthy all the time. We will all be sick. When you're sick, how good are you going to feel? How bright, how positive is you going to have the you're going to feel when you've got pneumonia or asthma? And, you know, and we will all experience sickness. Our faculties will dwindle. How good do you think you're going to feel? You're going to be sick. How are you going to feel when people blame you or when you do make a mistake? How good are you going to feel? Not so good. So it's like this is a way of just stopping adding difficulty to what's already difficult. And again, if gladness or rapture becomes difficult, basically lose the meditation object, we should know, even though this feels like a very positive condition, it's positive to a certain extent it's positive in that it pushes away depression and doubt. But actually that's its main feature, is what it gets rid of. And if you're finding then it makes the mind unsettled, we need to withdraw from that. Because the task of gladness is to dissipate depression. Once it's done that, then you can you need to withdraw from it, otherwise it becomes unskillful, overwhelming, one can't maintain balance. The way to withdraw from that is to not get too interested in it, to come into the physicality of the body. So rapture is essentially uh, sankara arises in the heart, chitta is, is happy, we come into the feet are not particularly happy, the hand, you know, so where does that sense of rapture not get added to? Now, our heart is emotional. So when it's in the heart, our emotions add to it. We can't help it. That's what they do. We come into the body. The body feels quite bright and comfortable, but it doesn't add more emotion. So when one, so you say, having cleared away depression, or sadness, which may be the result of noticing death, you feel a certain, having momentarily cleared that, that is finished, that has done its work, now let me withdraw into calm, into contentment. So we get less interested in, in the rapture, you notice it, and you come into your body, contemplate walking up and down, just simple stuff, so you get a little bit more grounded earth element. Um, so it's energizing because rapture has an energy to it. Um, so in terms of energy, we experience ranges of energy. There can be that which derives from the body, which is subject to the uh, thickness or the fatigue of the body, and that which arises from the mind, which is 
dependent upon willingness and clarity of your intentions. And of these, the most reliable, if you can practice with it, is the mind. But naturally, the mind tends to sympathize with the body. So when we feel, you know, fatigue, the mind also feels, you know, a bit flat. So this is where quality of goodwill or the absence of ill will, the sense of acceptance and uh, not putting pressure or demand upon yourself is very important. You said you tend to have that mindset where you expect, ask yourself a lot. Well, that has to change. Because, you know, there's only so many things you can experience that are going to fit into your what you want of yourself. Some of it doesn't, and so that has to go. The best is to be able to accept the broad range of experience. And that takes a little bit of time, because uh, we're naturally, we, we tend to be attentive to good stuff, and not feel so happy with the bad stuff. So, can we generate a very wide, spacious mind? It's like this now. Uh, there's this feeling, feeling's doing what it does, bodily experiences, energies are happening. If you have an energy blockage, it can be just this very attitude of mind that causes it. Because it's narrow. Um, you can certainly do various Exercises like Qigong, for example, can help with opening up channels in the body, uh, but uh, also being prepared to listen to what the body uh, is capable of and taking a rest uh, is, is useful. So we, we, you know, we we can't ignore the messages that are coming. We can't say, well. I feel tired, but I should feel this way, because it's like this. And um, just we go through, we all experience a range of low, flat, bright, clear, not very positive, not so positive, downright negative. How can we acknowledge that without getting stuck in it? The aim of uh, any meditation theme is to cultivate is to deepen the penetration of right view, and this is where um, factor of right energy is important because energy helps to take that right view and sort of really bed it in. So you not just think it as an idea; you also feel it. You know, you feel it as a sense of a steady confident quality. Right view should give one confidence. Yeah? And therefore one's energy is not, oh I've got to make it, I've got to make it, or I can't make it, it's just, okay, it's like this now. One's energy is more balanced. Now any meditation theme is there to help us to do that. Yeah. Any med- so right view comes first, right effort, right mindfulness. So right view comes first, and then right effort, right mindfulness. So, with right view, we seek that which will help our jitta to settle. 
into steady or reasonably steady or comfortable energy. This you have to be quite, um, try a few things. Uh, how it works. And if you look at the Buddhist teaching on mindfulness of breathing, he doesn't mention placing your attention on your nostrils. It's not, it's not there in the entire Sutta Pitika. There's no mention of nostrils. There are Pali words for it. It's like he knew what they were. So he doesn't mention placing your attention there. He just says, be mindful. Bear in mind the experience of breathing in and breathing out. That's pretty broad. So, where does it get comfortable? How does it get comfortable for you? So your mind isn't tight, tense, or just lazy, but it's listening and tuning in. Where does it get comfortable for you? Uh, the instructions, one is mindful, one brings up that sense of being able to stay with or bear in mind, we prioritize that, that's the important thing. What can I stay with? Yeah. So it's not just a matter of I've got to get to be more mindful, I'm not a very mindful person, but I have mindfulness, now what is my mindfulness capable of staying with in terms of breathing? Yeah? With just a little bit of effort. Yeah? And it may be just the overall sense, he says, breathing in long, breathing in short. But you can notice the fullness of an in-breath, the fullness of an out-breath. And actually, your whole, all your torso will experience that. And it certainly comes up into your head, your face, your nose, but the whole body experiences that. And you can either just stay with that, whole body experience it, or you might find somewhere particularly where after a while you notice this particular region, this mind really feels very settled here. And that's what you pick up. Because this is what your mind, you listen to the sign of your mind. So you listen to what your mind by itself picks up without too much pushing it. Then it's comfortable. And, uh, you know, when the mind is comfortable, it settles. It doesn't settle by being pressed. It's like a little creature, you can't just say, if you make a comfortable bed, the creature will sit in it. So it's important to get that sense of comfortableness. Breathing in, breathing out. Because that, why did the Buddha teach that? Because we walk around in it. It's involuntary. It happens to us. We don't have to figure it out. It's just natural. And it's got a particular pattern to it. The breathing in is a is a brightening sign, and breathing out is a calming sign. And these two qualities refresh the chitta. When you bring the chitta in touch with that, that is refreshing because you get the brightness of a nice, peaceful, bright energy and the and the comfort of an easy relaxing energy. And those two, you know, they're, they're nice, they're sweet. Uh, and he says, then you experience your entire body from within that, and you steady and calm your entire nervous system, the entire body with that. And so this is, this is it. Yeah. And you, so as long as the mind unifies. So with choice, it's awareness, it I would say 
the development of it is to be able to witness both the quality of what arises, the obstacle with it, maybe one gets a bit sort of um, not very focused. It's open, but it's a little bit distant, and then there's not much wisdom in it. Uh, the beauty of it is we get the, the sense of the jitta is fairly steady here. It's not grabbing objects. It's not rushing off. Well, that's, that's nice. Now, from that steady place, be able to discern the specific quality of what arises and passes. This is, you don't even have to really put a word on it, but you notice the arising and the passing. So the subsiding and the arising <coughs> subsiding. Uh, and the more sensitive you can get with that, the more even subtler effects can be experienced. If the mind is not doing that, if it's just spacing out or finding that it's just getting agitated, it's good to withdraw to something more chosen that you feel comfortable with, your mind actually gets some support from. And here, could be mindfulness, kindness, goodwill. If you're Tibetan, they make a lot out of compassion. Then you can generate that, and then the mind feels bright again. And once it's done that work, then we, you, can, you can let go of that object and return to this wisdom. It's a wisdom practice, which you talk about. Then, doors opening. It's good to practice on a retreat with the sense doors open. So you get used to it. You hear sounds, you see sights, you see people. Uh, and rather than jumping out, you learn to stay and keep your focus from gripping and softening and relaxing and you don't have to have any input here. So the beauty of the retreat with your eyes open is you don't actually have to have make any comments. Nobody needs it. Whereas when you're in a relationship with people, one does feel obliged to kick in and to say something. And perhaps you need to check that out. To train yourself to It's a very simple um, theme we keep forgetting that is building in pauses. I've talked about pause, pause moment many, many times, you know, it's time to pause. To, and you do this more frequently, and it helps you get some handle on this impulse to, to contribute, even when one is you know, trying to contribute in a positive way. You know, chirp up, say something, do something, help out. Yeah, yeah, fine. Wait. It won't go, you know, if that's a good quality, it won't be wasted. Yeah, it doesn't mean don't do it, it means just build in this ability to pause. And if we do that, you do that something like you're doing at least ten times a day.
you get the recognition of that arising volitional quality. I mean, you can act upon it or moderate it or say, well, it's not necessary really right now. Uh, many people, good-hearted people, feel they have to make a contribution to what's going on. That's admirable, but sometimes it's fine as it is. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and then your your chitta becomes gets more settled, more comfortable, and uh, you know. It means you, you, you don't end up saying the one thing you wish you hadn't said. It usually happens sooner or later, even with good intention. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would say that um, people like yourselves, uh, you know, when you come to, you do this sort of practice, you've probably got a lot of good intention. Thoroughly uh, good intentions, and uh, if you do anything, you tend to then feel that you're not doing enough, and you do something, or you're not happy enough, or you're not bright enough, or you're not wise enough, or you're not kind enough, or you're not quick enough, or you're not enough, not enough, not enough. <laughs> Fear of failure. Yeah, failure. What would happen if we failed? Huh? What would happen if we failed? Said, I'm sorry, you are a complete failure. <laughs> what would happen? <laughs> painful indeed, very painful. Then, wait, get that move past, here we are, success or failure, here we are. So, next moment, get on with it. Body helps, so particularly helps to Ground yourself if you're talking to people, ground yourself in your feet. Feeling with your feet, your hands, your chest. Where it starts, so when you get past, most people will come up and out. And <coughs> down and steady. Failure. So this is what we call one of the worldly wins, failure not being good enough. It's the dreadful experience. Um, something we really dread. So it's a wind blows us away.
So, what does it take to not be a failure, to be good enough? What does it take to be good enough, to be adequate? What what's what's to tell you that? Let's investigate because this this is delusion at work. Because you set up something you don't know actually what it is, but you know you should be it. You have an idea of being success. It's a starry idea, but you don't really experience it. You set up these standards that are really like rainbows, chasing rainbows. Perception that's raised up by society, always polite, always comfortable, always well-mannered, always efficient, always effective, always in time, always punctual, always bright, cheerful, serene, happy, joyful, wise, compassionate. Uh, who's that? <laughs> what we take to be good enough. Yeah. And so you end up straining so hard to, to achieve these things that you become a nervous wreck. And then they say, well, you're a failure. <laughs> the only place where, it can, where you can be a complete success is in your own chitta. You can't take it the standards from society or from what you imagine people think of you. You can't, you can't achieve it. And if you compare yourself with other people, you compare yourself with other people, so like with your father, you compare yourself with your father, not as as he is. Right? I wonder how he got to be how he is. If there are particular qualities that you notice that you thought were admirable, then maybe you can, thank you father, I'll try to cultivate those, then you are in fact doing exactly what he'd like you to do. What can a father give his children, apart from a good example, to live their lives wisely? I don't think he'd have said, now I'd like you to feel negative and depressed. <laughs> I think he'd say, well, you know, nobody's perfect, um, you know, I like him. Try and make an effort and look at these particular points, uh, be more composed, calm, just try to work with that. Um, have a quality of loving kindness towards yourself and others. This is going to, this is right view, you. you're bound to, you know, whatever you think of yourself, that's just your idea and perception. It's generally distorted. Um, right view, wherever I'm at, good, bad, failure, half enlightened, completely unenlightened. Uh, right, just do the good and have confidence in it. And the good is not perfectionism, it's not good. When you cultivate idealism, perfectionism, what you find is constant fault finding. Yeah, you don't find perfection, you just find faults. You seek perfection, you find faults. <laughs> right? If you <laughs> Cultivate compassion, 
you don't find faults. You find areas where you think, oh, encouragement is needed, calming is needed, Uh, generosity is needed towards this. Who knows? Who knows what karma we have? Who knows? But you know, this is who this is. (laughs) This is this jitta. It's like this. So what is needed? And, uh, you know, any wise person. I remember a, a woman I knew, and this is, I think, also perhaps a, I don't know if it's more a female problem, the feeling that you've got to care for everyone else and be perfect for other people because we're more attuned to relationships, women are more attuned to relationships. And so naturally, we're very fond of someone you want to. And this woman, she, her, her father died, and she tried to nurse him while he was dying. Of course, it, it's a big job because you never really know exactly what they need because they're, you know, not clear. And you, you know, sometimes your mind is this, that, or the other, uh, somewhere else, or you've forgotten something because one is stressed by other people's suffering. One's mind is not equanimous. Therefore, it's, it's a little bit stressed. Um, and for her father passed away, she thinks, oh, you know, I should have done this, and I didn't do that, and I, oh my goodness, why didn't I ever say stupid idiot, why didn't I say that, and I could have done this, you know, and she was doing this, and then she was sitting somewhere, turning this over in her mind, and then she kind of paused, and she heard her, her father's voice saying, I didn't expect you to be perfect, <laughs> I love you anyway. Yeah. You know, <laughs> please consider that uh, all we can possibly do most directly is cultivate intention and chitana, chitana of goodwill. What we can do with our bodies and speech is limited. We may have a vast wish to do well and we can't do it because we don't have the physical, the knowledge, or the physical capacities. This is sangsara. This is what it's like. There's limitations on what we can accomplish in that realm. If you make too much of that, you always feel inadequate. There's only so many good things you can say or do, uh, and maybe the opportunities. It's limited, uh, and you can't really base your assessment on that on performance can't base your assessment on performance. You can't assess yourself on performance. It's, in, it's never enough. It's never good enough. But it's not your fault. It's the fault of the conditioned realm. Your job is to clarify chitana, purify the chitta, so it's free from this obstruction of ill will towards yourself. Uh, so you may feel, oh, I'm not a good daughter, not good enough. That sounds probably quite convincing to you. <laughs> to me, it sounds really miserably, really miserably. And uh, uh, it's ill will. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way.
I think your father would really like you to be happy. And uh, yeah. so please make the attempts to clear the mind of regret. That's the best you can possibly do to to, to live up to his um, his wishes. And recognize that when a dear one passes, the mind goes into grief and shock, and so it's not very steady. And in that unsteadiness of grief, we feel, oh, oh dear, oh, stupid, you know, our mind is not balanced, so then we tend to... It's, you know, we, we will feel sad. But that sadness can turn into something wrong with me. <coughs> it's the nature of grief. And women particularly feel they should do more than they can. You know, they always feel they're responsible for relationships. It's their fault. If it, you know, tendency, much stronger tendency for, for women in that respect. So, I encourage you, please make a... Uh, recognize the need for that. So you can always just even bring an image of your father to mind and practice in your mind like offering or sharing or, you know, just to get the chetana uh, and imagine he's doing the same to you. Then it's a very loving experience. Anything else you'd like to bring up? Either that my response has not met your what you need, or you have another question. Labeling, oh, labeling. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that uh, that process can help with clarification. Yeah, so that that when the mind is so foggy and dull, then that labeling can give a kind of clear. Uh, clarification so the mind is just drifting and dreaming but also it's, you do need to address the experience of low energy and fundamentally there are certain uh, known um, recommended uh, themes for low energy one is keeping your eyes open one is good posture one is walking up and down, one is standing, so you shift your posture to something um, where really the good energy is going to come from your body. And then when we sit, it's quite easy to lose the body because you don't really need much in the body to sit. So if you sit on to stand, your body has to wake up. You don't fall asleep standing up unless you really don't count. And walking up and down. And standing, I think, is even better than walking. The weight Because to find balance, the body wakes up. With walking, the movement helps to keep, you, keep the body balanced. But with standing, it's only the body's awareness that keeps you balanced. And the two aspects of that, one is, is what I call the central axis, it may not be very clear, but at least the soles of your feet, the spine, spinal structure, the head, so the head isn't drooping forward, and so that gives you some sense of center, 
and then the other sense is the location, which is I'm standing in this space, and uh, this helps if your eyes are open. It's not just a visual experience; it's also feeling the skin, you know, cool or warm. So it's got something pretty relatively easy to to, to stay with. Sense it particularly easy because if you lose it, you, so you don't have a choice with it. You know, if you're not there, you're out. <laughs> so it helps you to wake up. It's not comfortable though. You know, working against sleepiness is uncomfortable because everything wants to just. Oh, I don't. I want to stand up. I'm still here for three minutes already. I need to sit down. I want to just kind of sit. No, no, Sam, no, another two, I've been here five minutes already, I'm finally sit down, because something he really wants to just, you know, I'm, I want to meditate. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, meditation is many things, one of them is the cultivation of, of right energy, right view, right energy. Right mindfulness. Until you've got right energy, you can't sustain mindfulness. And so, right energy from wrong energy is—it's not that comfortable. But just patience, holding position, staying with it, patience, patience, patience. And okay, I've tried. I've worked with this for half an hour, forty minutes. I'm really pushed. I'm just take a lie down for twenty minutes. Take a little nap. Again, walk up and down, you know. So it's training yourself, don't give up, but you may need to just soften and then try again, working at it. There are are several themes you can, and I think you mentioned using the word foothold, so that can help the mind to, to connect to the breathing. Yeah, so you use foot so that the very act of placing the word on your breath this is called vipaka you place a foot door, and then you extend the word over the, over the breath so it just gives the mind a little bit more to hold on to than just the breath alone if you're you can use um, with thinking you can even just use the, the word Buddha itself as a what's called a mantra, a word that you repeat. So you, you intend to say the word Buddha. So you would you listen to that word in your head, and there's an end. So say you notice the beginning of the word. The moment of pausing before the word appears. I'm about to say, and there it happens, the first sound, and then it passes, sound passes, the word passes. Yeah? That moment where, it, and then the word all comes in. So, that helps to slow thinking down. So, you know, there are one of the qualities of thinking is that when you try to stop thinking, you can't stop it. 
when you try to start thinking, you can't start it. But when it's, it kind of happens, and we don't notice that, it's there. But okay, so now try to think, make a big effort, now I will think. What should I think about? There it is. And it's happened. <laughs> so you can't start it and you can't stop it. But you can contemplate it. And so deliberate thought, thinking slowly, deliberate thought, good told. Phrase, normal tasa. Just slow it down till you hear the thought, the movement of the thought, normal tasa. You're going to see those words in your mind. And then it's not me thinking. It's just, this is a thought form. Essentially, You know, all our all the problem with everything comes down to the sense of me. Me feeling tired, me not being good enough. Uh, me, you know, it's always, what should I do? Why am I like this? It's always the sense of me that's the, the real not. That's the essence of it. And but so often we experience the thing that's bothering me rather than the me who's being bothered. We experience the trouble, the dukkha, rather than the one who's experiencing the trouble. You get that? We experience the hindrance rather than the one who's, ex- one who's feeling the hindrance. And we experience the sadness rather than the one who is feeling sad. And we come, sadness is sadness. Yeah? Is, is it such a strange thing? It's a very normal thing. Everybody feels sadness sometimes. So? But me feeling sad is a problem. So I shouldn't. But it will happen. Sometimes with meditation we get a little bit passive, you know, we just sort of sit there watching it and, <laughs> and we need to be a little more engaged. So, for example, you can practice metta with breathing in and out, right? Breathing out, may I feel well. Breathing in, may I feel well. Breathing out, may I feel well. You know, so you add something to it to make it a bit richer. For your mind, not because sometimes we're sort of half saying things without even recognizing it, right? breathing mm. in, thinking, I must be mindful, I must be mindful, I must be mindful. I've got to focus on the breath, I've got to make it work. We're not even thinking these words, that's the mood. And then, what does that do? Whereas, all the time in the world, 
nothing else to do but let the breathing happen. How wonderful. <laughs> that seems a lot more supportive to me. So you can add sympathetic qualities to your meditation theme to just put a little bit of you've got the rice and put a little bit of sport on it. Go down easier. Visualize. Visualization helps sometimes. Imagine seeing it, what it would look like. Uh, visualizing your body. Imagine the sinews, the bones. You can do all kinds of things to help give the mind something to, to connect to. But the most important thing is the second traffic light. Whatever it is, applies with goodwill. Can't do that. We've got to pause until we until that gets going. My own sense of this is whatever it needs, it's, that is always accompanied by goodwill. Yeah. Otherwise, the chit is not going to accept it. It can't open without goodwill. So, if what's needed is uh, I need to train myself, I need to be clearer, there's a sense of not you idiot, but like parenting a child. Come on, now we need to do this now. Yeah, I know, but this now. Yes, I know, you don't like it. This is what we do. That's still goodwill. This is your welfare. If it means, stop, don't stop doing that. Stop, no, really stop doing that. That's still goodwill. It doesn't mean I hate you forever. Because I love you, I want you to stop doing that. Because it's not doing you any good. You know, that's still goodwill. So goodwill isn't always so, just a sweet, flowery thing. It can be fun. The Buddha teaches from compassion. Look at the range of the Buddha's teaching. Sometimes he was pretty fierce. He was pretty fierce. But I don't think the Buddha had ill will. But he sometimes say, Look, misguided man, this is foolish, this is unbecoming, this is unprofitable, this will lead to your ruin. Refrain from doing this. Have you not have I not told you? You know, really bringing it home. <laughs> but because it's not worthy of you, you can do better than this. You know, come on. So this is—it's uh, always there's goodwill always there. We need to expand the range of our understanding of the chitta. Well, delusion is such a uh, issue, but uh, the main remedy for delusion is inquiry. Investigation. Yeah. What is this based upon? This thought, this attitude, this approach that I'm adopting, this perception that I'm following, myself or other people, um, <coughs> this sense of what I should be or am or I'm not, what's that based upon? How 
solid and real is that basis. Let's look at that. Anything? Um, um. Oh. Not based on anything other than just delusion. <laughs> uh, you know, or we can't find a basis for it. And it's just random drifting delusion, assumptions, perceptions, misguided perceptions, assumptions of what we are, what human beings are. Uh, because we're fed it all the time. We're fed delusion. This is what a person should be. This is what a good woman should be. Oh yeah? This is what a meditator should be. Uh-huh. Oh yeah? So, you know, and you look around, where are these people? Yeah, maybe they look good from the outside, but it's an, it's an assumption and uh, you need to inquire into other people can say it um, books can say it the important thing is whether you say it or not if you end up saying I should be like this I should be like that that's when the delusion has got into you yeah. if you're saying I incline towards clarity I aspire towards goodwill that's fair enough, that seems quite accurate because you're talking about intention but if you're talking about a statement of perception of what you are that's a, that's a delusion because there isn't one there isn't one you know, if you look into your experience what have you got, you've got a body there's an intelligence there that tells you where you are I'm here, not in the sky I'm here it tells you where you are when you look into how you're feeling you know that you've got something that tells you how you're feeling right? that's true feeling happy, feeling sad miserable, whatever. you have something that tells you what you should do about it your brain, I should try this, I should do that so you've got something that tells you where you are how you're feeling and what you should do you've got nothing that tells you who you are because you can't there isn't anything that can tell you who you are because you aren't <laughs> yeah. so there's a delusion you examine it, who am I? That's the anything that comes up examine it, how true is that? It's based upon a memory or uh, an emotion or a thought or and how real is that? They come and go. This is a delusion. Future is a delusion. If you believe in it, something the jitter does it or the mind does it, it tends to try to give us a direction so it comes up with a future. It's a relative vision. It's got no truth in it. It's not real things, it's an illusion past, you have memories how, how accurate is your memory can you remember everything that ever happened to you, no uh, can you remember even everything that happened yesterday no, can you remember everything that happened last hour, no 
And yet, oh yeah, I'm like this, and I did this, I did that. What selects that? The bits that you do remember. Often it's the bit you're stuck with. So we, we then bring our stuckness as a reality. We bring our attachment, our dukkha, becomes a reality because we adopt it. Something adopts it. Look at it. Who's that? So delusion has to be investigated. So, so I've sort of said one wants to keep the wisdom capacity is the most important thing. It begins with right view. It's continued through wise attention, appropriate attention. Uh, particularly investigation, the sense of I am that comes up. I am this, I'm not that. I never will be, I always am. What's that? That's an emotion. It's not a person, it's an emotion. So what's necessary with that? So this quality of deep, wise attention, yonisomunisikara, that's a wisdom faculty. Another wisdom faculty is sampajanya, which means we're aware of the arising and passing of phenomena. So when your mind becomes more settled, when there is sati, then... We are still experiencing this flow of feelings and what we dream or drift in that. Sampajanya is saying, how is that? Rising, passing, fluctuating. It's wisdom within the meditation, investigation. Another wisdom faculty, Dhamma Vijaya, means you explore <coughs> the nature of Dhammas, where, where they arise, what, what gives rise to a hindrance, what causes it to decline, and even the fact that these mind states themselves are like clouds. They have no real substance. They, they tend to... You know, they, because they emotionally move us, we don't investigate them. We investigate. So, wisdom faculty is something to keep uh, alive and well. There's no sense in which when you cultivate samadhi, you abandon wisdom. You don't abandon, you never abandon wisdom. You keep it there all the time. You're wise about how to enter samadhi. You're wise about the meditation topic you choose. You're wise about being able to adjust your meditation topic if it's not working. Select another one. You're wise about that. So wisdom is always an appropriate quality. Always appropriate. And uh, you just plug away with a sense of this has got to work because it works for him. Yeah, it works for him. Good. It's harder. <coughs> not working for me. You know, and trust your own wisdom. Make mistakes. Learn from mistakes. Can't learn without mistakes. Sometimes that's what happens. Just overwhelmed, flooded. And then really, all one can bear in mind is uh, just be patient. This will pass. Even that, some sense of wisdom with that. Because if you could do something about it, you would. Right now you can't. So wait for the 
you know, the tsunamis come through and wait till it subsides a little bit and then, okay. You know. But if you try to block it or fight with it, then, uh, then it does, doesn't help the overwhelm. Uh, above all, patience and, you know, trying to get into your body helps, particularly with emotions. But emotions will not follow the thoughts. In other words, you can't say to an emotion, go away, don't be here, calm down. It doesn't work. You don't obey. But your body can manage it. Your body can walk, keep walking through that experience. Flooding, walking through, you know, keeping your eyes open. Just get your body there. Because that acts like a, like a, an anchor when the wave comes over, you've got something there. Uh, the most um, distressing aspect is powerlessness, fear, where we just feel we've got no refuge. That's the, that's the worst. If you have some kind of simple refuge, we can, okay, bear with it till it moves through. 